Welcome to T. Rowe Price's Confident Conversations on Retirement. My name is Christine Akins, and I'm delighted to be your host. I've spent my career helping people prepare for retirement. My colleagues joining me today are financial professionals who help people on their retirement journey, whether they're planning for retirement or are already there. So today we're focusing on the racial retirement savings gap. We want to have an honest and open discussion about what things affect somebody's ability to save and to accumulate wealth. There are some very real barriers, such as access, income, and competing financial priorities, which can be confidence killers. That said, there are small steps all of us can take to improve our financial futures. I'm looking forward to this conversation because we have two people here who are experts in their field and are equally passionate about trying to help all investors be more prepared for retirement. Joining me are Jerome Clark, a chartered financial analyst who spent over 20 years managing asset allocation target date strategies, and Sadeepdo Banerjee, a PhD economist who is a retirement expert and oversees T. Rowe Price's annual retirement savings and spending study. Welcome to the show, Jerome and Sadeepdo. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You know, much of our conversation today will be focused on what can be done to close the retirement savings gap. But before we can talk about solutions, we should talk about how we got here. When we talk about saving for retirement and people who are not saving enough, the assumption that is out there is that this is an income problem, that they don't make enough to pay their expenses and much less save on top of that. Is it really that cut and dry, Jerome? It isn't. It's more than income. There are three key areas where there are financial disparities among households of different races. Income, as you mentioned, savings, and one that often gets overlooked, access to generational wealth. The first key area is personal income. On average, both blacks and Hispanics within retirement plans only earn about 73% of their white counterparts. The second key area is savings and associated net worth. In 2019, the Federal Reserve found that while white families had saved approximately 170,000, black families had just saved 38,000, less than a quarter of white households. And that disparity is also reflected in the net worth of households of different races. According to a Brookings Institute study in 2020, the average white family has a net worth 10 times that of the average black family. Then there is the third important component of financial disparity that is based upon how families of different racial makeups generally have had historically very different social status, access to economic opportunities, and financial experiences, that being intergenerational wealth, which is a measure of the ability of individuals or households to tap into wealth that has been accumulated and passed down from generation to generation over decades. Year after year, within our annual Parents, Kids, and Money survey, we find that whites have significantly more access to generational wealth than minorities to call upon in times of financial need. You know, Jerome, you've pointed out three things, an income gap, a savings gap, a wealth creation gap. And I think that we know that these gaps, or I might call them exclusions, add up over time. And that compounding can absolutely translate to a lower starting point for many people. Sadeepdo, what are we seeing with people who have access to retirement plans like 401ks? Where I would start is that we we talked about the, the, the income gap and the wealth gap. And what we see in our studies is that the, the savings gap or the wealth gap is actually much larger than the income gap. So, for example, in our survey, we saw of you know 401k participants, blacks and Hispanics have roughly, on average, about 73% income of whites. But when you look at their 401k balances, 
it's about somewhere between 55 and 60 percent of the balance of the white. And then if you go to the broader measure of wealth, which is net worth, uh, and there we see that the, the average net worth of both blacks and Hispanics is roughly around 45% that of whites. So you, we see that, I mean, there is an income gap, of course, but minorities, they face other problems, which it stops them creating wealth so that we see that the gap or the wealth creation gap, it, that uh, keeps growing. Going back to the, the to your question on 401ks, yes. So 401ks are absolutely one of the bedrocks for average Americans to create wealth. I mean, apart from housing, that's probably the most important one. And we see that there are really large gaps in just in the number of people who are participating in, in the system. So for example, we recently looked at data from census and we found that roughly about, about close to 60% of white workers in the private sector, they participate in a workplace retirement plan. Hispanics, for them, it's the lowest. It's less than one in three of Hispanic workers actually participate in a workplace retirement plan. And for blacks, it's also very low. It's 40%. So like two in five blacks participate in a workplace retirement plan. So that's the really the not so good part of it. But there is a silver lining here, I would say, again, that comes out from our research, which is when we look at people, the, the workers in the private sector who have access to a 401k plan at work, like who work for an employer who sponsors a 401k plan, we see that the gaps are much narrower. So for whites and Asians, it's over 90%, just over 90% who participate if they're offered a plan. But for blacks and Hispanics, it's also over 80%. So there you see that the gap narrows down significantly. So we know that at least there is something which can be part of the solution, which is access to a retirement plan. Thanks for sharing your insights about why access seems to be so differentiated amongst these groups. I would also guess that competing financial priorities may also be a factor and impact savings behavior and ultimately wealth building. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we we ask all these 401k participants, like, what are their different priorities uh, at different points in life? And what stands out is that irrespective of race or ethnicity, retirement is the topmost goal for everyone. But then we see some big gaps emerge after retirement. So, for example, for blacks, we see that saving for emergencies it's almost as high a priority as retirement. About 66% of blacks say that retirement is a top priority, and 63% say that saving for emergencies is a top priority. Again, for blacks, saving for a down payment for a home, that is a really important priority. Right there, we see a large gap between blacks and whites. I mean, Jerome was just mentioning about intergenerational wealth and how that can be passed down. And housing wealth is one of the biggest pillars of wealth and that has been passed down. So yes, so these different minorities, they are competing with all these different goals. And some of them are more immediate, like saving for an emergency or down payment on a home. And retirement might seem distant. So it, it is only normal that they sort of deprioritize retirement and prioritize the other things which are more immediate. And that sort of holds them back from accumulating retirement savings. 
Sedipto mentioned the significantly higher likelihood of minorities saving for a down payment on their home than white counterparts. That's actually a good example of the impact of intergenerational wealth disparity that I touched upon. There is much less likelihood for a minority household to be able to use intergenerational wealth that has been accumulated and passed down over time to help with a down payment. Therefore, minority households have a higher need to reallocate monies that they were saving for retirement towards a down payment for a house, whereas white households are much more likely to have and utilize intergenerational wealth for that same need. Thank you for those insights. So do some folks get a late start saving for retirement? Sudeepta, let's hear from you first. Yes, absolutely. And I think that is a very important piece of the puzzle that we sort of ignore a lot of the time. I'm going back to the data uh, from our studies. So we asked people who are saving in a 401k plan and who are a little older, above 50, we asked them, when did you start saving in earnest for retirement? And about over 38% of whites who say that they had started before the age of 30. For blacks, it was just 18%. So you can see that how big that gap is. On the other hand, like people who start really late, again, for whites, it was about 26% who say that they had started saving for retirement after 40. And for Hispanics, it was much higher, close to 40%. So... I would say that this is a factor that we don't appreciate like how big a difference it can make like just starting early. So for example, someone say with a starting salary of $40,000 at age 25 who starts to save 6% of our income and say increases it gradually to 15%. That person could have saved close to $2.3 million by the age of 65 assuming you know, an annual rate of return, say, of 7%. Now, if someone who starts saving at a late age, say 40, and when they start, they have an annual salary of, say, $80,000, and they start saving at a much higher rate at, say, 15% of our income until, say, age 65, that person will end up with a nest egg of $1.3 million, you know, assuming the same rate of return. So now that 1.3 million sounds pretty good, but it's a million dollars less than someone who started 15 years earlier who was contributing at a lower amount. So this example shows the power of time and compounding interest at work. You know, when you're investing, time is one of your best assets or one of your best advantages. So that was a very powerful example. Jerome, can you relate to this? Oh, yes, indeed. As I happened to be get a late start myself when I was younger in transitioning from the military to corporate America. After I graduated from the Naval Academy, I served for nine years in the Marine Corps, and then I moved into corporate America. And because I didn't stay in for the required 20 years, I was no longer eligible for a military lifetime pension. Responsibility for my retirement suddenly shifted from the military to me, and I found myself almost a decade behind in savings than my fellow associates in corporate America. So even before I got into asset management, I was really trying hard to figure out how I could catch up with my peers who were so far ahead of me. But one thing was clear, in order to have any chance of being as financially secure as my peers, I had to try hard to regularly save a significantly greater amount than them. You know, for those that are behind in saving for retirement, is saving enough to catch up? Jerome, what are your thoughts on that? Savings in and of itself is not enough. You also need to appropriately invest those savings so that they work harder for you. 
For myself, when I was transitioning to corporate America, in order to have any chance of catching back up with my peers, I had to not only save aggressively, but I also had to invest those savings prudently. I often tell family and friends that they may be able to maintain their financial status by saving well, but in order to actually improve their financial well-being and maximize their potential for accumulated wealth, they need to both save aggressively and appropriately invest what they save. And what I mean by investing appropriately for retirement is putting savings into appropriate long-term investments, such as stocks, that tend to work better for us in the long run by providing a higher expected rate of return than more conservative investments, such as cash, CDs, or stable value. I actually started off working in fixed income, managing bond portfolios early in my career. And even then, I was acutely aware that if I was going to be prepared for retirement, I had to have an adequate exposure to stocks. Earlier in our discussion, we spoke about the gaps that contribute to undersaving, income savings, wealth creation gaps. I'd like to shift a bit to talk about decision behaviors with savings. Jerome, do you find that most households invest appropriately for retirement? Across the board, many households just aren't adequately invested in stocks, but that particularly holds true for minority households. For example, according to the Federal Reserve, only one-third of black households invest in stocks, compared to 61% of white households. And I've seen this firsthand with my own family. My dad, who was a PhD, was a prolific saver, given the amount of income he made as a military officer and then as a college professor. I'm still in awe today at how much he was able to save, but he grew up in a household that was frankly poor. It's so impressive that he became the first in our family to graduate from college, but he didn't have much experience and knowledge when it came to investing. He spent decades putting money in low interest savings account and other conservative financial instruments because his background didn't provide him the knowledge and know-how of investing. But unfortunately, like my dad, the statistics show that many households particularly minority households, invest too conservatively. And it's frustrating to many employers that many of their employees invest too conservatively. Like many things in our lives, familiarity with investment breeds comfort with investing and moving out on the risk-return spectrum. But the reality is that many employees have had little to no previous exposure or understanding to investing before their 401k plan. You know, Jerome, you mentioned that black households invest less in stocks compared to white households. Can you give a little bit more insight as to why that is? Yes. According to a special report from the 2021 Edelman Trust Barometer, more than 60% of black Americans believe there is systematic bias and discrimination towards certain groups of people within companies in the banking and lending industries. Just 47% of black Americans trust financial professionals to do what's right for them compared to 61% of white Americans. And this is probably why we see such an affinity among black Americans when it comes to investing in real estate relative to investments offered through financial institutions. So how do people do better? Sadipto, what can be done to help level the playing field more? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the racial gaps, these are longstanding problems. So it's not that there are overnight solutions, but I think there are a number of things that people can do that will improve things for them. So first one, I'd say as we were discussing about different priorities, so I think people have to learn how to juggle multiple priorities. So, I mean, it might feel good that I say I pay off all my debt and then I start saving for retirement. But you know, in that case, if someone is doing that, they're losing valuable time, as we discussed. So debt will be there. So you have to just manage that 
and you have to save at the same time. So that's that's one thing. The second one I would say, and also try to save adequately. So what is adequate? We have sort of a rule of thumb that you should try to save 15% for retirement savings, and that includes any employer contributions. If you can do that, if you are doing that, that's great. If you cannot, then try to save as much as possible. The other one I would say is try to automate your saving habits. So if, if it's a 401k, then it's already automated. It's taken out of your paycheck, so you don't have to do anything. But if you are saving somewhere else in a savings account or in a brokerage account, try to set up automated transfers to those accounts so that you don't have to do it manually every time you want to save. Because what happens eventually is there will be a time that you think, well, something has come up and I cannot save this month. I'll do it next month. So it doesn't happen all the time. So if it's automated, you will see that you will save more. The third one is, as Jerome was saying, invest appropriately. I mean, what is appropriate to your age? If you are a do-it-yourself investor, that's all right. But if you feel that you don't have the knowledge, you don't have the confidence to choose your own investments, if you're in a 401k plan, most of the 401k plans these days would have some form of an age-appropriate allocation. So you can choose that. And then finally, I would say is it's okay to ask for help. We all have different sets of problems and it's not easy. As we we mentioned, talking about, you know, saving for a down payment, paying off debt, all these problems together. And at the same time, you have to save for retirement. So it's okay to reach out for help. And one bright spot here that we see from our study, and we have seen this for years now, which is that a lot of 401k savers, they say that they rely on their workplace, their employer, for financial advice. The number is close to 80%. So it's a large majority of uh, workers, they are saying that they have trust in their employer, in their workplace to provide them the necessary guidance. And a lot of employers these days, they have what we call financial wellness programs, which provide you know help on different things, your debt management, emergency savings, and lots of other things. So if you have that opportunity at work, use that. I mean, reach out and seek that help. I think that will help a lot. You know, those are some really practical considerations for our listeners. So thanks for sharing that, Sadipto. Jerome, would you like to add anything? 401k plans tend to treat everyone equally, no matter their racial background. Here's how you might think about it. When you start working for a company, your balance in that savings plan is zero. Everybody starts at zero. And everyone within that company has equal access to the plan's features, no matter their race or their gender. Once in the plan, your employer may auto-enroll you to contribute at a certain percentage, and your employer may or may not match a percentage of your contributions. You may also be auto-enrolled in an age-appropriate investment option. I personally think that this is a great feature for a plan to have, since most employees have limited investment experience, and they just tend to be hands-off investors. But no matter which of those features are or aren't offered, they are provided equally to all employees. And that shifts the onus on each of us to both save the right amount and invest those savings appropriately. That's where education comes in and learning how different investment options within your plan may have different percentage of stocks and bonds and therefore different degrees of risk and potential growth. That being said, a heartwarming trend that I've seen over my 30-year career 
is that most employers have made changes to their plans to help get their employees farther out upon that risk-return spectrum, simply meaning finding ways to get higher proportions of employees' retirement savings into equities and less into conservative investments such as money markets or stable value. Studies consistently show that equities tend to provide meaningfully greater retirement balances once you reach retirement. Finally, it's also about staying the course when the markets are turbulent, particularly in the short run. Even when I was able to convince my father to start investing in stocks, he often pulled his monies out when the market dropped because he wanted to stop from losing more. Studies show that chasing and running from returns tends to be detrimental because you end up buying stocks when they tend to be more expensive and selling them when they are cheaper. I tell my family and friends to try and think of a price drop in stocks like buying an item at a store being put on sale. Better to buy that item, not sell it, when that item is at a low price than when it's higher. And I personally know from experience that it's hard to stay the course when you're in the middle of a significant market drop. During the 2008 bear market, while managing our asset allocation strategies, me and many investment professionals across the industry were moving billions of dollars out of cash and bonds and into stocks. Unfortunately, at the same time, what we found is that many employees individually outside of asset allocation products tended to do the opposite. So if you're a hands-off investor like most, using an age-appropriate portfolio carefully chosen by your employer may serve you best. And if you're a hands-on investor, staying the course and not chasing short-term returns will tend to better serve you in the long run. When it comes to people being comfortable with investing, a lot of times education is thrown around as the answer. So when we say education, what does that exactly look like? Where can people find information that they can easily understand? Jerome, can you help us with this? We all learn differently, and what makes sense for one of us might not be helpful to someone else. So I encourage you to think about how you personally learn best. Does a podcast like this one fit in your schedule better than having to sit down and read something? If you're listening today, that's a great start. Well, this has been a great conversation, and I personally think if we don't understand what's happening at a more granular level, things don't get better. So I really appreciate that you both didn't shy away from sharing realities, whether that was statistics or personal stories. So we covered a lot of ground today. Let's summarize a few key takeaways for our listeners. Sadeepta, what would you highlight? Start early. I cannot overstate how important that is. We talk about the power of compounding, the power of time. And so whatever challenges people might have, I mean, however small they can Start, but just start. When it's early, time is on your side, so start saving. The other point that I would make is if something is important, like retirement savings, make it a habit. So don't just leave it up to your you know, willpower that someday I will save or next month I will save. So just make it habit so that you don't have to think about it. You don't have to decide. And it's just like your second nature. So just make saving something like that. And the third one, of course, is just if you need help, seek help. Great thoughts. Jerome, what would you highlight? I tell my kids all the time, learn from my experiences. So I hope that there's some takeaways from my own and my dad's experiences that I've shared. Start to save as early as you can. Let time and compounding interest be on your side. And then I would encourage you to go beyond savings and become an investor. Learn about different types of investments. Start with what you are invested in at your workplace plan. You can call the number on your account 
And someone should be able to explain things like, how has it performed in different markets? How much stock is in it? That information is free for you. And I would say be aware of your tolerance for risk, but also be careful not to be too risk averse when investing for retirement. Conservative investments like cash, bonds, or stable value tend to historically have lower long-term returns than stocks. So be sure you're invested appropriately for your goals so your money has the potential to grow and work for you. Well, I think it's pretty clear that we're all equally passionate about this topic and we could keep the dialogue going, but it's time for us to start wrapping the discussion. We want to leave our listeners with a parting thought or a next step. Jerome, let's start with you. How you save today will impact how you live tomorrow. Tomorrow being retirement. Saving for retirement helps maintain your style of living, but appropriately investing those savings may help you actually improve your standard of living and retirement. I encourage everyone, but particularly the minority community, to utilize the generosity of their 401k plans, contribute enough to get any company match, and try not to invest too conservatively. So I would say that savings, I think it has a snowball effect. So when people start, it might seem that you're not making any progress and things are not adding up, but just keep at it. So if you keep at it over time, suddenly there will come a time that you will realize that you have a decent amount of savings. And then that will give you confidence to go from there and do other things that you would like to do. Great thoughts. Thank you both for being part of this very important conversation. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Again, I'm Christine Akins, and thank you for listening. Please tune in for our next episode, which focuses on what to do if you're having second thoughts about retiring. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I hope your next step towards retirement is a confident one. T. Rowe Price, Retire with Confidence. This episode of Confident Conversations on Retirement is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice. This podcast does not provide recommendations concerning investments, investment strategies, or account types. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific investor and not intended to suggest any particular investment action is appropriate for you, nor is it intended to serve as a primary basis for investment decision-making. Investors will need to consider their own circumstances before making an investment decision. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. The views contained herein are as of the date noted on the material and are subject to change without notice. These views may differ from those of other T. Rowe Price Group companies and or associates. The opinions and commentary provided do not take into account the investment objectives or financial situation of any particular investor or class of investor. Investors will need to consider their own circumstances before making an investment decision. Example beginning at age 25 assumes a beginning salary of $40,000, escalated 5% a year to age 45, then 3% a year to age 65. Example beginning at age 40 assumes a beginning salary of $80,000, escalated 5% a year to age 45, then 3% a year to age 65. Annual rate of return is 7%, All savings are assumed tax-deferred. This example is for illustrative purposes only and is not meant to represent the performance of any specific investment option. The assumptions used may not reflect actual market conditions or your specific circumstances and do not account for plan or IRS limits. 
Please be sure to take all of your assets, income, and investments into consideration in assessing your retirement savings adequacy. Copyright 2022, T. Rowe Price, All Rights Reserved. T. Rowe Price, Invest with Confidence, Retire with Confidence, The Bighorn Sheep Design, and Confident Conversations, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group Incorporated. All Rights Reserved. T. Rowe Price Investment Services Incorporated. T. Rowe Price Associates Incorporated and T. Rowe Price Investment Management Incorporated are affiliated companies.